When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Gramercy Books, a locally owned, independently minded neighborhood bookstore located in the heart of Bexley, Ohio. Our philosophy at Gramercy Books is simple. We are about inspiration and discovery, community and adventure. We connect readers and writers with books they love and host special events and ongoing visits by authors, poets, and songwriters who provoke conversation. Stop by or shop online at GramercyBooksBexley.com. And we're brought to you by the Ashland University Low Res MFA. Expand your writing practice and refine your craft within the supportive community of Ashland University's Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Our accomplished faculty will help you find your voice and complete your degree at your own pace. Learn more and enroll today at ashland.edu. I remember a few years when I went to four or five weddings every summer. I remember trying to calculate who I'd run into at each one to determine whether I could get away with wearing the same dress to multiple ceremonies. I was once of an age where it seemed like everybody I knew was getting married. Those years were quickly replaced by invitations to baby showers and birthday parties and bar mitzvahs, but I'm not that age anymore. I've gone to more funerals than weddings recently. I've written more cards than I can count to friends who've lost someone who've had a death in the family, or who are going through a difficult separation or divorce. And I've realized that I have a template to follow for weddings, for parties, and even for funerals. I know what to wear, what to send, and how to show up. But I haven't entirely figured out what to say when two people I love are ending things. On the one hand, other people's marriages are none of my business. On the other, we all want to be there for our friends. We want to let them know that even though their marriage isn't any of our business, their heart is, our friendship is, and whether they're with someone or not, separated, divorced, or somewhere along that often really emotional path, eventually they will get through it and feel themselves again and find themselves again on the other side. But sometimes it's still hard to know what to say. If you're someone currently struggling with whether to stay or go, the poet Maggie Smith's new memoir, You Could Make This Place Beautiful, it's for you. 
If you're someone close to a friend or family member whose relationship is on rocky ground, Maggie Smith's new memoir is for you. And if you're simply someone who knows how to look for love among the ruins, who sees new growth in the ashes, Maggie Smith's memoir is for you. This book is about the possibility of finding yourself again. Maggie Smith is a poet, writer, editor, and teacher who's published several books of poetry and prose, including Good Bones, Keep Moving, and Goldenrod. In 2016, Maggie's poem Good Bones went viral internationally. To date, it's been translated into nearly a dozen languages, interpreted by a dance troupe in India, set to music by multiple composers, and read at Lincoln Center by Meryl Streep. Public Radio International called Good Bones, quote, the official poem of 2016. Maggie's poems and essays have appeared everywhere, including The New Yorker, The Paris Review, and The Best American Poetry. Her memoir, You Could Make This Place Beautiful, is out now and is already a New York Times bestseller. When she's not writing, teaching in an MFA program, or editing books for other poets, you can usually find Maggie hanging out with her two favorite human beings, her son and daughter, in her hometown of Columbus, Ohio. Maggie Smith, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Oh, thanks for having me. It is great to finally meet you. I know you've been creating wise and lovely words for many years, but despite the fact that we both live and write in Ohio, in here in the heart of it all, I don't think I really befriended your work until the publication and viral popularity of the poem that, you know, kind of puts you on the map, 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 even though you were writing before. Um, so it was called Good Bones, and for people who haven't read it yet, I you're just going to love it, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. But I wonder, Maggie Smith, if you would tell us about your writing journey, you know, before that poem, after that piece that caught the attention of the world. Tell us about that. Yeah. I mean, I've been writing poems since I was a teenager. So this has sort of been... Um, I mean, I joke that it's like the only thing that I'm good at. So, of course, I was going to keep once you find something that you feel like yourself doing, um, you want to keep doing that thing. And so for me, it was writing. So pre good bones, like if we're going to if we're going to divide my life into two distinct stages, <laughs> um, there's before good bones and there's after good bones. So before Good Bones, I, um, you know, studied creative writing uh, as a college student. It was my major I uh, went and did a three-year MFA at Ohio State, and I published two books with um, independent presses ahead of the poem Good Bones Going Viral. And so, uh, you know, it was a part of my identity, but I wouldn't say it was something that a lot of people necessarily knew about. So pre-Good Bones, I could be walking with my kids in the neighborhood and I was Maggie pushing the stroller. And um, post-Good Bones, a lot more people knew that I was also a poet and not just a person who pushed a toddler in a stroller. Um, and I've published several books um, since the poem went viral, including the book um, Good Bones, uh, and have, you know sort of uh, left my poetry bubble and moved into prose in the last 
few years, which has been fun. And, and I think um, probably introduced me to different readers who aren't as sort of poetry centered as, a, as people as I am. So that's the short, short version. Yeah, no, I love that. I was thinking about, I'm a member of a few book clubs and I was thinking about why haven't I encourage them to read because I have you know I have keep moving and I have golden rod it's like why haven't I reminded them to read Maggie Smith and you're right about introducing to different readers because there are folks who read poetry I'm one of them but there are also folks who don't maybe they had a bad experience with their 10th grade English teacher who, <laughs> who tied a poem to a chair and then they had to beat it with a stick who knows right um so I I think that you are gonna find new readers and more of them with this brand new memoir. So it's called You Could Make This Place Beautiful, which for folks who've read Good Bones will know where that line comes from. I, I read that your new memoir has been called Intoxicating. It's a meditation on marriage, on motherhood, on healing, and you know the power of learning how to come home to yourself. And I, this is all this is all true. And it also talks about divorce. I happen to be of an age where I have many friends, multiple friends whose marriages are coming to, you know, to an end. I see them in it and experiencing so many big, complicated feelings that you so dexterously capture in your book. There's just so much beautiful permission here. You know, you're angry, you're sad, you're nostalgic, you're exhausted and ultimately you're okay. And I found myself wondering as I read it, was writing this book in any way healing for you? It was, um, although not in the ways that I expected <laughs> because isn't, isn't life like that? I mean, I think I approached the writing of this book think, thinking that the healing would come from thinking deeply enough into this time in my life to solve it for myself. You know, I really sort of naively believed that if I spent enough time and enough words and enough pages and enough mind and enough heart on my adult life as a subject, that I would come away from this book feeling like I understood it. You know, it's a real reckoning with the past, I think, to write a memoir. Um, and it was healing to write it, but not because I got all the answers or solved the experience or like could sort of, you know, put it down in a way once I got to the end of the book. I think it was healing because the process of writing it helped me understand myself better. Not necessarily all of the events that I'm writing about or all of the other people's choices that I'm writing about or, or any of that. It just, something about getting to say all of these things in one space helped me see the, the places where they, they touched. We have this idea that I can only read stories that are exactly about me and it's actually very fascinating that we can read stories that are about truth and love. And it doesn't have to be a story that's that the plot doesn't have to be the same, but the feelings and the emotions very much are. Um, and I, ju I do think it will offer healing. And this is not a this is not a self-help book, 
it's a it's a memoir. But I do know um, women in particular who are going to come to it with questions like, how do you know when it's time to stay and work on the relationship? And how do you know when it's time to say enough is enough? And I'm not asking you to be everyone's therapist. I'm asking you to speak for you, right? Speak for all people. Uh, but, but, but from your perspective, you're writing about the end of this relationship, a relationship where there was love and there are children. And, and how, how did you know when it was time to stop trying to save it and start trying to end it? Hmm. You know, in some ways I didn't know, um, like in plenty of ways I didn't know, but I think, you know, looking back on it now, maybe the measuring stick, and this is like such a, this is such a low bar, right? Like the bar is sometimes so low, but it's like, can I be myself? Can I be my full self, my full, messy, artistic, imperfect self in this relationship, you know? And I, I think these are questions we should be asking ourselves forever, not just in romantic relationships, with, but with friendships and in professional partnerships and in all kinds of um, whatever the sort of like ecosystem is. Can I show up as myself and be welcomed as that person and accepted and supported as myself, as is, scratch and dent. And if you don't feel like you can be, then it's probably not a situation that's going to help you feel good about yourself and grow. Um, yeah, I mean, and again, that's such a low bar. I mean, I, I joked after my divorce that my type, like someone asked, well, what's your type? Are you going to date? What's your type? And I was like, my type is someone who smiles when I walk into a room, Aww. which is such a low bar, but right. Like wanting to have someone be happy that you're there. That's like, so if, if you feel like you don't have that and in, in your partnership with your husband, boyfriend, wife, roommate, partner, boss, employee. If the person is just not happy to see you when you walk into a room, it's probably time for some sort of reevaluation. That's yeah. And and that seems like overly simplified, but but it actually is a test that that we we don't all pass and I was reading this book about um the end of this relationship and thinking about this is all taking place when you are you know, your star is ascendant. You're, you know, not, not many poems travel around the world like, like that one of yours did. And, and what we want um, for the people we love is for them to flourish doing what they love. We just want to see them doing the thing and other people see them doing the thing. And we want to point and say, look, she's doing the thing so well and have other people clap and for there to be music playing. And, um, I want to go back in time and I want to give you that. And I'm mm. hopeful that it will just, that we don't always get these do-overs, but I'm hopeful that as you continue writing, that you will get that, that the the world is looking and saying, wow, great job there. And that I hope the people who love you are saying, yeah, 
absolutely, go you, because it is a low bar, but it is, you know, that's a blessing and a wish that we want for each other. Oh my gosh, I will take that blessing and wish. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you still live, you still live where you always lived. You still live in the city, um, you know, down 71 from me here in Cleveland, where you once lived with your partner. You walk along in the parks that you once frequented together. You drive down streets where your old apartment is. Um, and you, you say, quote, in all these places, I loved that person. I loved him. Where does that go? And I love this question, Maggie. I've never really thought about it. Um, but where do you think the love goes? You know, I don't know. Maybe it gets sort of like repurposed and redistributed and, and um, doled out in other ways. I mean, I, maybe it just dissipates into the air. And it's it's like, you know, when someone's been in a room and sprayed perfume and then you walk through after them and you catch a little bit of it in the air. And so that when you go through those those spaces where you spent time with that person, you catch you catch a little bit of that essence, but it then, you know, you move through it and it sort of blows along. I honestly have no idea what happens to it. I mean, it, it seems sort of in, equally impossible that it's just gone and that it's somehow still here. Yeah. Love is shifty like that. I like this idea that we recycle it or that its, it's essence is just... It's around. I remember being positively overwhelmed um, when we opened our wedding presents. I was just mm. like, oh, my gosh, look at all that. Oh, my. How will we ever? People gave us cash and, and you know, crock pots and fancy glassware and utensils and a thing to hold champagne. And, and I remember thinking that we would never be able to pay them back. Right. Like we'll never be able to do for that particular aunt or uncle, like the cost of this, I'll never, in free babysitting, I'll never be able to make it up. I had this real transactional feeling about it. Um, and now, you know, decades into my own marriage, we have broken every one of those plates and most oh, yeah. of those glasses and we have lost. I don't know where those forks went, but they are not in my house anymore. Um, but along the way, we have been to other people's weddings and baby showers and housewarmings and bat mitzvahs and we haven't paid back the same people like that transaction, you know, like that I am still in debt if I were to measure it that way. But we've paid it forward and around and and I feel like maybe loving people is like that and, and that love is fluid and we hold it for a time in our pockets except when a time when I see that you need it. And so I give you the love from my pocket and now you have it, except magically it's also still in my pocket. How amazing is that? That it's not, it's not math, right? That we can spread it and share it. And um, even somehow you, you write about this, that, you know, it, we call it heartbrokenness, but I don't know, even that is like the heart doing what it needs to do, right? To, to love big and full also means that you're open to hurt and and that's all in there that a heart that's loved before is also more likely to love again yeah and there's no scarcity like there's plenty and no matter how much you give there's always more it's you know sort of like room in the mind like that like no matter how many things you think or remember you don't get full um, and the same thing goes for, you know, that metaphorical heart we all have. There, there's always room. 
Like it's, it's never actually full. Uh, I love that idea. I had a math teacher and I, I confess I didn't understand most of what he said, but he did <laughs> say that no one could have all the fives. He was always saying, no one can take all the fives. There's enough fives for everyone. And I, I, I like thinking about that, that those fives were also, were also love. Um, because this, this book is so full of love. It is on the one hand about a relationship that's ending, but there's so much love in here. I mean, you talk about your kids, you share your children with us. And I am in love with these little humans who get to circle the globe with you. Um, the way that they filter in and out of the story, they are like simultaneously little gumdrops and guardian angels and, also, they say those kinds of things that kids say, right? You, Your then six-year-old son says, quote, I know I have a mom who loves me and I have a dad who loves me, but I don't have a family. Oh, oh these, these small, tiny humans run away with, um, with our heart. You know, oh, how, what was it like to live through this time with these, these little little kiddos did they um did they carry your burden did they did they warm your heart did they change you as a writer talk to me about your kids in this book yeah I mean my my main concern in the book was you know getting to share my experience of mothering them but not not sort of like sharing their inner lives in in the book so that was that was sort of my line was some of these stories will be theirs to tell someday and so again if this is a tell mine i'm telling it from the perspective of of being their mom but it's like um the gift of my life is getting to be their mom and i tell them that all the time like i'm the luckiest like of all the people on this earth that i get to see you Every day is like, I don't even know what I did. It makes me so lucky. And so as much as I wish that they hadn't gone through, you know, the divorce of their parents, like our little unit has been such a source of joy for me. They sort of just make all the things possible. Like I don't, I don't know how, how else to say it. Like they, they really make all the things possible. And if I didn't have kids, would I still be a writer? Yes. I would just write about other things. It would just be packaged slightly differently. Um, but it's so much of who I am as a person is because I'm there. I'm their person. Um, and that of course is going to come out on the page. Oh, it's beautiful. And you guys are I, I know that I, I again I, I'm of an age where women I know it's mostly women that they're just talking about ah, is this marriage going to last? What about the kids? What about the kids? And and over and over again I'm not I'm not suggesting that this was easy for all of you, but over and over again in this book I see you guys roller skating. I see I see you baking. I see you doing crafts. I see you snuggling and watching Animal Planet. I see you loving them through this and and they're okay and and it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not something I would wish for them, right? Like um you know, a, along the way and I write about this in the book, like people will say, "Well, you sure have taken these lemons and made lemonade by writing a book or and it's like, well, I wouldn't actually I would like to return the lemons because it's not just 
that there are books because of this, right? Like I would have written, I would have written books about something else if I'd had a different experience. And, and these are lemons that weren't just handed to me. They were also handed to our children primarily, but they were also handed to other people in our lives. You know, like when, when a, when a marriage ends, the ripples travel throughout both families. Right. And so uh, on one hand, it's like, I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but on the other hand, I think we've made the best of it and we're still ourselves. And, and you're right. I mean, we're okay. And most days better than okay. Some days okay is what you can shoot for and, and I'll take it. I think our daughters are similar in age if I'm doing the tracking right. So anytime you've got a daughter anywhere near middle school, everybody is doing the best that they can at, <laughs> exactly. at a given time. It's a whole lot. I'm not <laughs> yeah, the, sure she's going to appear in public with me this week. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, so listeners can't see this, but um, I I am a post-it girl. I, I, I'm often reading in bed at night and I, I'll just, you know, I'll find a post-it or sometimes a Kleenex or, you know, it's just like whatever I've got if I want to circle back to something lovely or haunting or profound. And I got to the point where I was literally posting every page of this book. I was laughing at myself and running out of post-its because I'm tearing them in half. Um, anytime a poet writes prose, I'm leaning in because you guys, man, you are, I'm there for it. You, you write um, staggeringly insightful, beautiful, evocative things. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You say that this is a story about magical thinking. Uh, I've become a student of my own pain. You tell a story of the Valentines, and you say the house was full of hidden Valentines. It looked similar, but not the same. There was no way home but through. And you have this idea of us as nesting dolls. Um, nesting dolls. Like those matryoshkas, right? I'm picturing the yeah. doll within a doll. Will yes. You, will you talk about people as nesting dolls? I've never heard this before. And I don't know why I haven't heard this before, because it makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just something I thought of, like, um, as as far as, and it kind of goes back to the idea that your brain is never full, that there's always room for something else in there, even though we carry all of our memories inside us. I think we also carry all of the previous iterations of ourselves inside us. So inside 46-year-old me is 41-year-old me and 35-year-old me and 12-year-old me and 21-year-old me and, um, you know, sort of like a nesting doll, and and also that our relationships are kind of like that, like within in any iteration of a relationship, we're carrying all the previous versions 
of that relationship as it as it grows and changes. And you know, one thing I I did I think in this book and that that it's a poet thing, right? Is like trying on a bunch of different metaphors to try to understand some of these experiences a little bit better for myself because that's really my currency. Like if if I can come up with a metaphor for something that helps me communicate it to myself, if that makes sense. And so that was that was my way of kind of understanding how how even now I'm carrying all of these earlier versions of myself inside. That's almost like a document. You know, when you like save a different version of a document, you can save over, right? Or you can save a new version. And never and save over. Oh my gosh. You never save over. Never. You can't because you might have to go back to an earlier draft and reinstate something or figure out at what revision did you kind of start to veer off the path. And so you always have to be able to retrace your, you know, breadcrumb trail. And so I don't save over either. I number drafts. And I I sort of think of human life like that too. Like as we grow and change into like a sort of revised version of ourselves, all the old versions are still there. There's still documents in the file, you know, we don't save over ourselves. We just carry all of that experience and memory with us forward. That's beautiful. I loved, loved, loved thinking about <clears throat> the writing of poetry, like these little Matryoshka dolls that are nesting. I loved thinking about ourselves, that there is that still soft voice inside of us, but it's like three nesting dolls back. And there's probably a word for the kind of repetition you employ in this book, where you repeat a line or a title or a story, but it's it's the same and somehow different. I I just call it like poet repetition. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know that there is a term. Um, it's like the term is me with a bunch of printed out pages and colored markers and trying to kind of assemble something. But I, I do think you know in poems I'm often what I find satisfying in poems, both as a reader and as a writer, is when the same line or word or phrase or image comes back later and is slightly repurposed. Like there's some sort of even slight transformation that has happened in this image, phrase, word, term, whatever. There's something about that that I find really appealing. And so that happens in the book because... I of course wrote this book as a poet. Like I don't I don't really know how else to write a book than as a poet, even a book of prose. So I was still employing all of my sort of poetic strategies as far as patterning and repetition and image and sound um and and all of those things in in this book. I just had a much larger a much like a lot more real estate to work with. Yeah. Well, for me as a reader, it became a kind of heartbeat this is like steadiness. So you've got the, there's the the tiny page, the tiny words in the page where you say, like a friend says, every book begins with an unanswerable question, then what is mine? And and you say how to change. But then you, that, you, that, that repeats, right? This heartbeat of that line repeats that unanswerable question, then what is mine? How to live with the mystery. Then what is mine? How to heal then what is mine? How to remain myself? It was just just this heartbeat that um, throughout the book, the, I, I remember the first time I encountered a repetition, I'm like, oh, maybe I lost my place because, again, all my <laughs> post-its, I must be on the wrong page. But I went back. I'm like, oh, no, 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 this is, 
this is the same but different. This is the nesting doll. This is the the poetry repeating. Um, again, the book comes, the namesake for the, the, the Good Bones poem, that line, though I keep this from my children. I, I've seen this in your work before. Um, were you always the kind of person who gazed at the same thing from different angles and looked at it in a different light? Have you always had poet eyes, do you think? You you found the breadcrumb trails. Oh, yes. I, I marked a lot of them to the point where then I could no longer see the trail because I kept marking them. <laughs> I have I have um, clumsily read lines from your book today just out of enthusiasm and exuberance, and folks will excuse and forgive me for that. But I, um, I'd love it if we could hear you read, if you wouldn't mind, a, a, a page or two from this book, because I would love to to hear it in, in your voice. There was one in particular I was hoping to hear, because I think it's gorgeous that you write a book that's, you know, among other things about divorce. And then towards the end of a book, we get, we get a, a poem called Bride, which is just so lovely. I wonder if you would an, indulge me and if you'd be willing to read that. Um, of course, that poem to us. And guys, while while um, while Maggie is finding the page, I will say that if we asked her to read every gorgeous sentence, we would be here all day, which would be totally fine with me. But they, you know, other people get to talk to Maggie with this <laughs> book. But you guys, it is just so beautiful. I mean, luckily, I do read every sentence of this book on the audio version. So if someone wants to hear it um, instead of reading it, that's that's available. Although I actually. I think it's probably easier to follow the breadcrumb trail visually than it is um, by listening. I, I think you might be right because I, I listened to Goldenrod. I, I always read and listen. I, I do both. But I listened to Goldenrod first before I read it. And I was so disappointed in myself for missing. I'm like, wait a minute. Was that in the audio? For It, it absolutely was. But I, we listen different. And and. That a listened to poem is different than a read poem. That is totally true. They're the same it words, is. but I receive them different. The, there are more evocative and different images. Yeah, they do hit different. Yeah, it is a different experience. I like to go to a poetry reading and follow along, almost like those like old storytelling records I had as a kid that would kind of ding when you had to flip the record to the other side. That's my ideal reading experience is still like the Peter Pan storytelling record that I had when I was six. I, I haven't outgrown that somehow. That's excellent. Okay, this is Bride. How long have I been wed to myself, calling myself darling, dressing for my own pleasure, each morning choosing perfume to turn me on? How long have I been alone in this house but not alone, married less to the man than to the woman, silvering with the mirror. I know the kind of wife I need, and I become her, the one who will leave this earth at the same instant I do. I am my own bride, lifting the veil to see my face. Darling, I say, I have waited for you all my life. Ah, I'm, and see, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. See, I, I even I noticed something just there when you read it that I hadn't postmarked, that I hadn't um, posted it. But the the I do on its own that, line. The uh, I yeah. do on its own line, Maggie. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, see, you see the secret sauce now. <laughs> <laughs> I am licking it off my hands. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for thank you for being willing to 
read that. And I do encourage folks to get both the audio and the and the the hard copy book because that's it's almost like a song between the two. the The poem becomes almost a song when I hear you hear you say it. Um, although speaking of songs, did I see you write about mixtapes? I follow you on a lot of different threads, and I don't remember where I saw it. You're a mixtape teenager. That's not me calling you old. That's me calling you the same. You're a mixtape teenager, aren't you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm I'm absolutely Gen X to the core. That that actually is something spectacular about us, and we don't realize it because we all take it for granted. But like we we made we made them and and took them back. We we wrote on them. We we you could only maybe fit. I mean, I maybe you got fancier mixtapes, but I tended to get the ones that fit ten songs. It was like a ten song, yeah. You know, and I didn't have all the CDs, so I had to tape them from the radio and like the double boombox. So some of mine had like coming to you live, <laughs> W, like you know, like because I, I didn't have all the songs. Yeah, or the first like three seconds are missing because you were trying to find a blank tape to pop in and like couldn't get there by the start of the song. Oh yes, all of that. It's part of the charm. One of the most embarrassing things I ever did mixtape related is I, I, there was a girl down the hall who became my roommate and one of my bestie friends. Shout out to Bina. But before all that, I borrowed her Garth Brooks tape so that I could tape I've Got Friends in Low Places onto a mixtape for somebody else. And you had to put it in one in order to tape it on the other. And when you pressed record, that went from one to the other. But if you mixed them up, you managed to tape blank space onto and over the song, which is what I did. I ruined her cassette of I've Got Friends in Low Places and just taped over it with <laughs> with blessed silence. I ah, But it's a, it's just a whole thing. I could talk about mixtapes all day, but do you remember some of your go-to songs that you loved to put on a mixtape or that you would have liked to have received? On a mixtape. Well, I have to say first that one sneaky thing that I would do, especially to listen to music that my parents didn't find appropriate, was you used to be able to put a little bit of transparent tape along the bottom of a cassette, and that way you could tape over anything if you covered the bottom center with a little bit of gift wrap tape, so that it looked like I had a tape of like... It could have been Amy Grant, but really it was the Violent Femmes. Baby, baby. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I had, I yeah, I did. I wrote about this on my Substack recently. That's and I, I said that um, like everybody had a stable of very short songs because you would like often have maybe two minutes at the end of a tape and you wouldn't want it just to be blank. So someone had to fast forward through or flip and rewind the other side. And so you would have these like, a little, a little stable of very short songs, di- tonally different. So if you ended on something poppy, you could put in something quick or vice versa. And um, I think probably every mixtape I ever made in high school had the slow UK surf version of Pixie's Wave of Mutilation on it. <laughs> Um, which if I were to make mixtapes for people now, that song would still be on every mixtape because it's still one of my top 10 favorite songs of all time. I'm impressed that you had taste like that because I'm fairly certain (laughs) that if I were to look at, I I definitely remember one that was like, songs you love to love, songs you love to hate. Like one side was one and one side was the other. I am fairly certain that the Phil Collins or, um, although I would still buy every little thing she does is magic like that just like some of those songs would 
be very tired. <laughs> well, I don't know. I I do love I love eighties new wave, and my kids and I listen to that stuff all the time. So, if we if you put on any song that was popular between the from between the years of like nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty six, my kids probably even know all the words. Because that's our household soundtrack. No shame. I love it. Well, when we're doing dishes, definitely we'll we'll be listening to You Can't Touch This or something and, and, and Bon Jovi and we'll be doing dishes trying to make a chore better. Uh, that's that's <laughs> great fun. I um I just wanted to, to know that you I saw you and felt very seen by that. <laughs> I feel seen. Uh we always close with some some just some fan favorites, some quick multiple choice questions to just get these little snapshots of our guests. This is just sort of a lightning round. Yeah, these first ones are multiple choice. You just pick one, okay? Okay. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Mountains or beach? Mm, um, forest? Can I choose secret answer C? I don't, I'm afraid of heights and I don't love deep water. We will write down forest as answer D. <laughs> Done. Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Prince or talking heads? Both. I refuse to choose. <laughs> Donna Summer or Dan Fogelberg? Oh my gosh, these are two records I have on the shelf next to me right now. <laughs> I have multiple Dan Fogelberg records that were my parents, and I have definitely Donna Summers on the radio. I guess I'd have to go with Fogelberg because, um, you know, it's a deep bench with Fogelberg. I mean, if you've ever run into your old lover, at a liquor a store. store. Or, I mean, like, come on. I I had not thought about Dan. My parents had that same record. And when my father passed away, all those records came to us. And I had not thought about the word Fogelberg in years until I saw it in your book. That's um, hilarious. Uh, this is another multiple choice. John Darnielle singing Picture of My Dress or Kermit the Frog singing Rainbow oh. Connection. That's just not fair. John Darnielle is awesome. But also like a puppet frog with a banjo. Like I feel like Kermit's never going to know if I didn't pick him. So I'm going to go with John. Um, For folks who didn't follow that Twitter story, again, as a follower of yours, I felt like I was getting a glimpse into the story behind the story. But you exchanging... It's the mountain goats for folks who don't listen. You exchanging these tweets with someone who then goes on to write... A um a song about your idea of taking your wedding dress all over to places. Um, I just thought that was amazing. It's a great story. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, you really don't think when you when you tweet something snarky about your wedding dress, um, and 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 reference Weekend at Bernie's as a movie in said tweet. Speaking of Gen X. <laughs> That's that's someone you inc- like incredibly admire, who's one of like the, the the best songwriters working today, is going to like tweet you back like that would be a, I know what that song would be. Well, maybe I'll bang it out today because I've got some time. And then the next thing you know, it's on their record. Um, yeah, I mean, so, Twitter is a weird space, and and sometimes it can be uh, a hard place to be. But like in my experience, magic also can happen there. <laughs> One hundred percent. That story was just such a great story. Um, I have another multiple choice for you. The actor Maggie Smith's performance as the Dowager Countess in Downton Abbey, or the actor Maggie Smith's performance as Professor McGonagall in Harry Potter. I'm going to go with Downton Abbey because her level of snark, epic in that 
show was so terrific. I mean, she was great in Harry Potter. I get a fair amount of Harry Potter fan mail via email. Not as much Downton Abbey fan mail. It's like the fans of that show can understand that I'm not the same person. But I think there are enough young fans of of Harry Potter that they're not really figuring out that she's not a 40-some-year-old poet who lives in Ohio. So they just send the email I on wondered about that. I wondered how much. Like, if I were named Keanu Reeves, would it be fun if I got fan mail about, like, his performance in Speed 2, if he was even in that? But <laughs> maybe. Maybe it would be. Yeah, it it might be. Um, it might be. But yeah, I, I actually love her in, in Downton Abbey and her character's name, her first name, if you remember, oh gosh, is Violet, which is my daughter's name. Oh my gosh, that's your yeah, so daughter's it, it name. Kind of, it, it's like a lot of things converging for that particular like that. role. More poetic repetition. Yeah. Lovely. All right. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Um, well, I used to be a night owl and now I am an early bird. Children sometimes make it so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I also think just 40s, <laughs> like know. I'm too old to stay up. I know. I'm getting less fun at night. A hundred percent. Jammy o'clock earlier and mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Like five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a few more here. Are you a risk taker or are you the person who always knows where the band-aids are? Um, I definitely always know where the band-aids are and I take calculated risks, I would say. I like it. This is a fill in the blank. If I wasn't working as a writer, I would be a, oh my gosh. I mean, if I had, if I had an answer, I might be doing it. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, my, my jobs, my other jobs, right. Are teaching and editing, so I would probably be perhaps teaching full-time or working in publishing full-time if I weren't um, a writer. If you weren't working as a writer, you would work with writing. Yeah, I think it's always <laughs> going to be something writing adjacent, you know? Yeah, I, as I said, I don't actually have any other talents. So this is pretty much it for me. Nice. Um, what's something quirky that folks don't always know about you? A like, a love, a pet peeve? Hmm. Um, that thing that annoys you or that thing you love. I, um, my favorite genre of film is horror. Really? Yeah. I love zombie movies. I love any, I mean, it can be a slasher film. It can be a creepy independent movie. It can be zombies. I love zombies. Um, I love horror movies. I don't think I would know that at all. Don't they Probably make you afraid not. of your house? Yes. And I'm also afraid of the dark. So it 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 creates a lot of fun. Like, well, I guess the laundry is just going to mildew because I'm not going down there for a couple of days Absolutely. to get it out of the washer. Yes. Okay. That's hilarious. Do you have a favorite, like if you were to recommend, oh, if I had to watch it again and again, my favorite horror movie is or one of my favorites well the trick is if they're really scary i don't want to watch them again so i can i would recommend the really scary ones but they're not ones i want to keep watching like i love um i love the babadook oh good god it's really hard to watch (laughs) so i don't know that i want to spend time re-watching it or or something like hereditary i loved but i don't know that i can spend time re-watching it um but i am doing a sort of 
syllabus of horror with my daughter right now because she really likes horror. So we're working our way through Hitchcock and and some of the classics. And we just watched um, The Shining and then Psycho. And she liked both of them. And I still really appreciate both films. So the, if the people haven't seen The Shining and who hasn't at this point, but that's just, it's like flawless, honestly. Is that the kids in the hotel mm-hmm. that made me afraid of Play hallways with us, Danny. and children? Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Stop it! No, it's okay. this is a family show. Oh no! I that made me afraid and of big children wheels and, and weird carpet and, and yeah, that's a that's Kubrick oh, at yeah. his best. Good lord! All right, no, I wouldn't have known that about you. That's great. Um, okay, so uh, two more. What's your favorite ice cream? Probably uh, coffee. Um, I talked to Elizabeth Lesser many months ago and she and I agreed that we love coffee ice cream but why don't they make decaf coffee ice cream like wouldn't that be I mean like I want coffee ice cream at night but I don't want it to keep me up oh I I don't let that get in my way (laughs) I just power through all right respect (laughs) uh last one if we were to take a picture of you happy doing something you love what would we see oh probably like having a dance party with my kids or um like a road trip or something with them, like just talking and laughing, listening to music wherever we are, probably. It's a wonderful image. Oh, Maggie Smith, thank you so much for making time. No, to be this here was today. fun. Thank you. I love seeing that um, very posted book that just like warms my heart <laughs> just... so much because I, I am the same reader. I'm a dog ear <laughs> person and my books just look terrible when I've loved them well. So that means a lot. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I do love, love a book. Um, I think this is a quote from your, from a, a previous one. You wrote that, quote, the ending of one thing is also the beginning of another. What is the next adventure? There's room enough in this life with its many endings, its many beginnings for things you could not have imagined last week or last year or 10 years ago. Keep moving. Um, that's another of my wishes and blessings for you today. Here's to this adventure, the one that you're on right now, and to the next, uh, the adventures you see and those you've not even yet imagined. Ah, cheers. Absolutely. Thank you for that blessing that you wrote and I just read back to you. Um, (laughs) Folks, uh, Maggie Smith's most recent book, uh, it's a memoir. It's called You Could Make This Place Beautiful. Um, But all of her books, my goodness, you will be, if you have not discovered Maggie Smith yet, you're in for such a treat. Uh, You can find these books at... um, wherever books are sold at an indie store near you to everyone listening we're wishing you love and light wherever the day takes you be good to yourself be good to one another and we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey wild precious life is a production of evergreen podcasts special thanks to executive producers gerardo orlando and michael dialoya producer sarah wilgroup and audio engineer ian douglas Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform, 
and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.